Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everyone, my guest today is the very lovely Jacob Batalon, who many of you know from Spider-Man and other Marvel movies. Jacob and I discuss his new show, Reginald the Vampire, the differences between life in Hawaii and New York, his high school reputation as a stoner, getting the role in Spider-Man and not telling anyone, romantic deal breakers, falling in love during the pandemic, and a lot more. First to call in today is Brandon who began reevaluating his life after the death of his father. Brandon shares his experience and questions how to find a balance between his own pursuits and the guilt he feels for not spending more time with other loved ones in his life. Next, we talk with Erin, whose stepmother wrote her and her sister out of their father's will and kept everything for herself. Other members of the large family remain in close contact with the stepmother, but refuse to intercede, leaving Aaron feeling betrayed and abandoned. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you have a question and would like to talk with us, we would love to hear from you. Just look for the link in our show notes. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. Oh, man, I am so excited to meet you and talk with you. I can't thank you enough. Oh, please. It's so awesome to meet you. Thank you for having me on. Jacob, where are you right now? I'm in New York. I live in Brooklyn with my girlfriend. Oh, awesome. How do you like it? It's great. I feel like we live on a pretty busy street, so there's a lot of noise, but we just adopted a dog. So it's been really great. Awesome. Yeah, we're about to go to Serbia. So we're like trying to figure out all of our travel. Oh, of course, because you're shooting. Yeah. Not necessarily for vacation. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I've definitely never been to that part of the world. Not that I don't want to, but definitely not the first place I'd go on vacation to. How do you feel with your suitcase out all the time? I'm sort of used to it, but at first it kind of felt like an adventure. But now I'm kind of like, damn, this is really inconvenient. I'm going to fly all the time, but I'm just really privileged to do so. I'm just like, yeah, it's just a part of life now. <laughs> How did you meet your girlfriend? My girlfriend and I had actually met on a night out randomly. I guess like in 2020, it was like a weird time when COVID cases were down and we were like really optimistic about everything opening up again in the East Coast. So I was just out on a night out with my cousin and our friends. And yeah, we kind of just met randomly and we sort of just kept talking. And I wasn't really looking for anything. She wasn't really looking for anything. It kind of just happened. And now you guys are living together. You have a dog. Yeah, it's crazy. The trains left the station. It's interesting how the sort of choices you make, no matter how small they may seem, change the course of your life. It's insane for sure. When you think of the idea of home, what does that mean to you? I guess home to me is sort of where the heart is. I mean, that's really cliche, but I find that when like my loved ones are near, that can be my safe haven. I've learned through the industry that, you know, you make friends and family on movie sets so much because everyone's in the same boat where you sort of travel all the time and don't really have like a set place. 
So that sort of like becomes my home in a way. But now it's sort of like my dog and my girlfriend. <laughs> I don't even go out anymore. I literally spend all my time with them, like all the time. It's crazy how much it affects me. But that is important, though. Yeah. When you live like this transient lifestyle. Right. Especially if you're in the movies, not so much, I guess, in television. Depends, I guess, on your job status. But for sure, the idea of kind of holding up. Always having this weird feeling of, gosh, I have to like start over and make another family because you're always going from one place to another. Yeah. And the intensity of making a movie, those like four, probably in your case, in my case, they're like two to maybe three month jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Still long though. It's like life sort of concentrated. For sure. And I was thinking about in sort of the vein of home and the idea of homesickness, What's your relationship with Hawaii? You know, it's interesting. I grew up there. I lived there my entire life. And it's beautiful. And my family's there. And they're caring and supportive. But I sort of found myself stuck in a rut in a way. And I'm sort of like one of those people where it's like, if you're from the place people vacation at, it's sort of like, eh, to you. Not that I don't love the people and our culture. For sure. It's like with me forever for the rest of my life. Whenever there's something going on in Hawaii, it resonates with me deeply. So I'm not like jaded over Hawaii. I see it more as definitely a home that I come to when I can. I've sort of created a new life for myself out in the mainland in New York. Like could not be more polar. Yeah, like I guess I was just like always opposite in that way and that I was always looking for more than just going to school and going to the beach. (laughs) Like it's hard to explain, but... I guess like New York and Hawaii are two completely different animals. And being a young person, I really want to see what's out there. New York obviously is like a world city. So yeah, Hawaii is just a place I can always go to. I bet like in your 60s, you'll return. Yeah. Hawaii is more of like a retirement place for sure. That's what I would say. I would live there once I'm done with all the things that I set out for myself to do for sure. And where's your girlfriend from? She's from Maine. Okay. All right. So still a similar idea of isolation and community in a weird way, right? Yeah. Small town, small living mindset. Everyone's sort of okay in their circle. And that was like the sort of mentality we both kind of grew up in. Not that that was a bad thing. I just feel like we both wanted more out of life for sure. Have you gone to any of your high school reunions? (laughs) No. Actually, there's one coming up that I don't think I'm going to be able to attend. (laughs) It's not like I don't want to go. It's just like Hawaii is far as hell and like I'm like working all the time. It's actually kind of crazy. I try to make it back at least once a year, but it's definitely been more difficult because of the distance and obviously like COVID and everything going on. So yeah, it's been tough. (laughs) What was your high school experience like? I feel like when I was in high school, I wanted to be a musician and I smoked a lot of weed. Like my friends from high school still hit me up and they always tell me all the time how proud they am of me, but they could just never, you know, really understand like how I even got to that point. <laughs> how you how you got away? <laughs> yeah. They're like, we didn't know you were ambitious, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually, when I first got Spider-Man, I couldn't tell any of my friends at this point. So I waited till like the news came out and... Basically, the whole island of Oahu was sort of really happy and everything. And my friends were just like really caught off guard. They were genuinely like super hype and excited. But they were also like, what the fuck, dude? Like, where did this even come from? Right. (laughs) But it's definitely like the weed thing. And 
I feel like me and my friends would always be like known as the people who were getting stoned and everyone was cool with them and whatever. No one's really, I would say, like changed their mindset since seeing me. I've seen some of my friends since all this has happened and they still like smoke weed with me as if like nothing's really changed. <laughs> that means like your essence is true and good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. Will you tell me about the stress of the audition process for Spider-Man? <laughs> it was pretty intense, I'd say. I was attending drama school at the time near the Flatiron Building in Manhattan. And I was very fortunate enough at the time to have like a manager to sort of help me out and navigate auditioning and whatnot. And Spider-Man kind of just came along out of nowhere. And so I kind of went through the whole like self-taping process. Self-tape uh -huh. was like becoming a thing at that point. So that was really crazy. So I had to like figure that out for myself. And then I did like a screen test. And then I waited like a few months to hear anything back. It was definitely like a lot of, am I going to get it? Is he not? Yeah. At the time, my manager would call me up and be like, yeah, so like there's like a deadline between you and some other people. They're still like deciding, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. And it was that for like six, seven weeks, basically. And I just kind of got the call like randomly on like a Thursday night. And even at the time, my manager said like, you might not be the role. You might just get like a side role or whatever. But at that point, I was like in school and I just wanted a job after school. Like the relief of it was insane, but I can't really explain. Like everything kind of became more colorful after getting a part in a movie. And oh God, it's hard to think. Like I'm trying to think back to that moment. It was very scary because I couldn't really speak to anyone about it. I felt like I was going on some like undercover missions and shit. I would get like passwords to secret websites to read like the sides for my auditions and all these things. And it's like, I don't know how to fucking deal with this. It was really crazy. And they flew me out, which was crazy. Flew to LA? Yeah, like I did it in Burbank, I think, like the screen test. And it's such a blur to me now because it just seems like such a dream away. Uh-huh. But I remember it was like the toughest. I couldn't really like breathe at one point. Like <laughs> I was like at the screen test and there was like a waiting room. And I was just like, I just couldn't breathe. But it turned out good in the end, I guess. And then you had that odd experience. And I know you've talked about it. Yeah. But if you're not in the industry, I don't know if you understand that time when you couldn't tell anybody. Yeah. Like when I got Scary Movie, right. I could tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking classic though. Thanks. I'm really proud to have been a part of that movie. I can't even explain to you how fucking cool this is, Anna. Literally, this is so awesome. <gasps> I adore you. Yeah, please. Thank you. <laughs> but I remember like the feeling of loneliness. Like, what do I do with this information? Yeah. Scary Movie was my first audition in L.A., I told my parents immediately, but I spent the weekend by myself inadvertently at our like family home. My parents were off like on a camping trip and I had this profound feeling that I'd never had before, almost like a euphoric fall. Yeah. Even though I could tell people, I couldn't tell anybody that really understood like the journey that I was about to go on. Right. I had never done that before. I was a local hire. Right. It felt just really scary. Yeah. And I imagine having those months where you couldn't share <laughs> properly. Yeah. I, I remember it being a very precarious time in my life just because, like, I didn't know who to speak to. But I was very much lucky to have been working with people who were sort of in the same place as I was. 
you know, John, our director, that was his sort of first big budgeted movie ever. So he was very much like on the ride with us. And, you know, Tom and Zendaya, obviously, like we were all very young and still trying to figure out and navigate life. And it was very terrifying for sure. But I guess for me, it was really, really fun to do with people that I enjoyed it with. But I remember the time between me getting the part and me actually starting. There was like a two-month period where I was still just waiting for the show to start. And I told like three of my closest friends because I literally could not hold it in anymore. And it somehow got to like all over my school. But I guess like no one really cared per se. Like, I just don't think they cared enough because they thought like, oh, he's probably just going to be like a five and under or something. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But besides that moment, it was still really like crazy to sort of navigate that. But then what really kind of changed my perspective on everything was when the news kind of broke that we were going to be in the movie and people had all sorts of assumptions and opinions and things of that nature. That made me feel a lot more alone. Will you expand on that a little bit? I would say it's easy to say don't care about what people think and, you know, you need to have thick skin in the industry and whatnot. But, you know, a lot of public scrutiny sometimes, for me at least, I'm really human in that, like, words can still hurt me. 100%. You know, at first, in the beginning, I would brush things off for sure. Like, it didn't really matter. People are crazy. People are wild. Like, life's a whole gray area. Nothing's black or white. So I understand people can say shitty things and not be shitty personally. All those things. But, you know, it gets to a point where you just feel like, wow, this is what it's like to be talked about all the time. This is kind of shitty. (laughs) But in that moment in time, I felt very lonely. Because I have friends who go through it and they also experience the same sort of thing. But the thing that we sort of found was that we could have each other. And I guess that really brought me and my friends closer. You know, people who like go through it and whatnot, that really helped. But at that time, that was probably the most loneliest I'd ever felt. In the beginning anyway. Now I'm kind of just like, I don't give a fuck. (laughs) Good. I know it is... It is so crazy how you could have a hundred nice things said. Yeah. And then there's that one thing that just like sears into your brain. It's crazy. But you know, I was lucky though because we didn't have social media in the same way. Right. So I wasn't nearly as exposed to critique. Yeah. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Although it's made me really bad at social media. Yeah. I feel like I'm super out of touch with TikTok. Like I don't have one, first of all, and I don't know what is popular now. And people are starting to say Instagram is for older people. And like, oh my God, what do we what do we do now? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> Instagram is for old people now? It's sort of like how Facebook kind of became for like older people. Oh my God. Like, things are just moving away too fast, I feel. I'm sorry, I'm going to grab my dog really quick. Oh, she is adorable. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> what kind of dog is that? Well, the rescue that we got her from listed her as like a Yorkie-Chihuahua mix, but we don't think that's what she is. She's like a mutt for sure, but she's super adorable. <laughs> that dog belongs in Annie. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. What's her name? <laughs> oh, her name is Charlie. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I want to ask you about some dating deal breakers. Yeah, for sure. You have to imagine that you're single, all right? (laughs) Uh, Cool. Yeah. All right. Is this a deal breaker? They have a sex doll in their car so they can use the carpool lane. (sighs) I mean, I don't judge the sex doll, but the reason for it is kind of weird, bro. But like, kudos to you for finessing the law. 
<laughs> um, that's not too bad. I'm with you. Yeah, that's not as bad. But it is like, if there's that level of kind of deviance, yeah. are there greater levels of deviance? <laughs> right. That should be like a warning <laughs> sign. You're right. They have an Instagram account for their cat. No, that's cute. Everybody got Instas for their pets now. We're starting to think of making an Insta for our dog, but... I love it. <laughs> that's not that bad. Let's see. You learned that they did porn once, but they were wearing a mask. <laughs> I might be super duper open, but like, I probably wouldn't be mad that they did porn. Like, I think that's fine. I like this. You're open-minded. <laughs> they call you dude. My girlfriend, Brooke, really likes it when I call her bro because it's just like a level of the comfortability. It's like, why wouldn't I want her to call me dude? Like, yeah. Bro is what you probably call people that you love, that you're feeling connected with. Yeah, I think that that term is so overblown. Like, oh, they think I'm one of the boys. They don't think I'm an actual girlfriend. That's like, that's nonsense. They order for you at restaurants. Jacob's going to have the eggplant parmesan. <laughs> right? That's what you wanted. Right, dude? <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I feel like I've never really I've ordered for someone before on a first date and that was pretty I feel like off-putting wait you gotta tell me about this we sort of talked about what we both wanted to eat and then I just knew that she wanted that thing and so I just ordered for her this doesn't sound like this is your fault then Okay, because I wasn't like, I straight up picked something out for the person and they didn't want it. It was like, I knew they wanted this thing and I just ordered it for them. But I guess it's still kind of weird because you don't really know each other like that. Like, my friend had gone through a similar thing recently. And I felt at the time it wasn't that weird. I guess people do think it's a thing, but I'm fine. They tell you that we never landed on the moon, that it was a fake. <sighs> okay, that's... <laughs> I can't deal with that. I'm sorry. Like, that's actually like, God damn. Now you're going to tell me the earth is flat and all this stuff. Ugh. I'm going to have to pass on that for sure. <laughs> I'm with you. I don't love it when someone thinks they have it all figured out. Ugh. The need for conspiracy and the self-righteousness of thinking that they somehow fucking have the answer. Right. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. Can I say really quickly, like, oh, my goodness. It's just, like, interesting that people think they know more than experts. The internet is filled with experts who have never been to space, who have never been doctors, who have never been lawyers. It's insane how many geniuses we have in the world. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Their ex slashes your tires. Oh, man, that's... Dark, isn't it? Tough, yeah. <laughs> that's like telling me that they were doing some crazy, crazy shit. Yeah. I'm going to have to pass. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> how old were you when you first fell in love? Or you first felt like you were in love? I would say, like, I was in high school, but even that turned out to be, like, pure shit. But I feel like I'm definitely in love right now, for sure. I'm in love with my girlfriend right now, and it's fucking amazing. That is rad. Yeah, it's super awesome. I feel like we've also found more love with our dog. Like, I didn't realize I could care for something else besides myself and my girlfriend so much before. And my loved ones. But, like, putting all your love and care into a dog has given me, like, another sense of, wow, love is really beautiful, for sure. Tell me about the things that you love about her. I hope she doesn't find this offensive. I love that she's really, 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 like, indecisive. I enjoy that she, like, goes through, like, a very thorough process of understanding <laughs> the pros and cons are really detrimental. And I just really need to make sure I make the right decision. And now I start to sort of weigh things more because I'm very compulsive. Like, I do shit on the drop of a dime, and that's how I've been operating my whole life. But she's really taught me to really think shit out and really consider everything and not just be a selfish piece of shit. And 
Besides her being super fucking hot, I feel like I just truly, truly love her. Like, I love that she makes me think. I love that she makes me question life. I love that she takes care of me and our dog. Like, she does so much for us. Yeah. Tell me about your impulsiveness. Yeah, I feel like this has been happening a lot with me in shopping. <laughs> I I just buy shit, like, out of nowhere. Well, you're in New York. Oh, my goodness. I see some cool clothes, and I'm like, fuck, I gotta have that. But I don't really think necessarily responsibly with my money. That's one thing. I tend to make brash decisions all the time. Like, I'm very much either on one end of the spectrum or the other. Like, I either absolutely want to do something or absolutely don't want to do anything and there's no in between. And I guess she's really taught me to really try to see the middle and understand both sides as opposed to being very much just hard-headed fool. What do you guys, like, binge watch? <laughs> we finished Gossip Girl, the OG version. We're watching Desperate Housewives right now. Nice! <laughs> and uh, it's been great. Like, I, truly, Gossip Girl, like, oh my goodness. Like, Chuck and Blair for life. God damn. But, like, Desperate Housewives 2 is just so good. Like, how the fuck were we able to make such great television at the time? It's so crazy. So, so crazy. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that's sort of where we're at right now. I love your girlfriend. Yeah, she's the shit. She really put me on. She really put me on to like murder mystery shit, like true crime stuff. Sure, we love it. Yeah. The ladies love the true crime. It's like insane because it's like, you'll get terrified of like a scary ass movie. But like if it's real life, you're like snacking on stuff. It's more like, I knew it. Yeah. I knew it. This is what they talked about. The whole like yep. armchair detective <laughs> shit. I love it. It's fucking great. I love the complexities of the human mind and all that stuff. It's great. I feel like my girlfriend, she just finds it fascinating because what can drive a human being to actual things like murder? Because it's such a soul tearing thing to do to take a life. It's just like interesting that people are able mentally to do it more than once or like do it out of passion or do it planned and stuff. Or like people who kill by accident. It's like this whole tapestry of shit that we're in. There's also that puzzle you're trying to solve. Yeah, because like me, myself, I could never, ever do that to another person. And just to like think someone else could and also do it more than once or something like that is really like, can't even understand that mentality. Who in your family makes you laugh? Who do you go to? You know, I would say my cousin Brian for a long time was sort of that person for me. I was the youngest in my family, so everyone kind of treated me like a child and protected me and raised me as such. But my cousin Brian was the closest to my age and, you know, we really got along. And he had a really big influence over the things that I really liked growing up, especially from middle school to high school. And then I moved out to the mainland, and I would say my cousin Chris, for sure. I mean, he's definitely, like, helped me through a lot of hard things. Him and his wife have done a lot for me. I really see them as, like, my big brother, my big sister. They're both really great to me. So they're definitely the ones who are sort of draw. A lot of people say that me and my cousin Chris look alike, we laugh alike, we sound alike. <laughs> so, yeah, for sure. I would say those two particularly. But, again, everyone in my life is sort of... Like my sister's husband, for example, my brother-in-law, he really helped me in a time where I really needed like discipline and stuff. And he's like in the military. So he really tried to teach me how to have structure in my life. So it was all those sort of things for sure. I was listening to an interview where you said that you had only told your military brother-in-law. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I told him because he, at that point, was going to go be deployed. And I just wanted to tell him because I knew that he's, like, really strict and structured. So I know if I tell him not to tell anyone, he wouldn't tell anyone. 
And I just wanted to give him like a piece of good news before he left. So, yeah. <laughs> that is rad. He must have freaked out. And that must have felt really good for you. <laughs> he was really hyped because I feel like he is the type that doesn't show emotions a lot. He's the military boss guy. So he's like always forward. But he was super excited. And he actually did keep the secret from my family the whole time. Like, he thought at first that I was calling to tell him I got someone pregnant. Oh, God, Jacob's calling with big news. Oh, <laughs> uh, here we go. Let me go to the other room so she doesn't hear this. <laughs> but that must have felt good to at least be able to celebrate with somebody. It was really nice. It was a really nice moment that I had with him. I felt a lot more, like, at peace with myself. That I could tell a family member and know that it wouldn't be a jeopardizing thing to do. And in the end, like, if I'm being super honest... It's a big deal to tell someone and for people to leak secrets for sure. But like if you were to tell somebody, right? you know what I mean? There's no chance that they're going to leak it. This, unless they're like some super fan who wants to do some crazy shit. Yeah. Jacob, will you tell us about a heartbreak in your life? I was with someone for a bit and gosh, it's sort of hard to explain. We were like in the sort of open relationship for like three years. She was living in Los Angeles and I was living in New York. Oh, so you had a long distance. Yeah. Oh boy, yeah. So we were together like three years basically and it was going really well. But then the pandemic happened. And at that point in time, she obviously, because we couldn't really be together physically, we couldn't really comfort each other in the way that we both needed. You know, she just wanted more out of life and out of our relationship than just like seeing each other when I'm in LA or when she's in New York and not really like having a set plan for our future together. So she ended it. She had ended it with me because she just really, through the pandemic, she sort of had just figured herself out and all her things out. She was in a very difficult place and all those things. Did it take you by surprise? I definitely didn't see it coming. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no, it's totally fine. I mean, it is great because you're yeah. in love. Yeah. I literally could not be happier with who I'm with right now. It's crazy. Like, that was such a low point in my life. But obviously, finding Brooke just changed everything. But yeah, for sure. At that point in time, it was devastating because I felt as if we were like still in a really great place and things were going really well. But it's sort of that human thing of like, you don't want to really bring down another person, but you sort of have to, to live your truth. I think that men tend to be a little more blindsided by a breakup. Yeah. And I don't know if that's like a little bit more of maybe not being practiced in picking up cues. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of things that I can admit as a man that I literally don't understand still. Like... I understand that there's a message behind the actual message and I'm just trying to like... Ignore it? Yeah, like as a man, I just purposefully <laughs> see it for face value because I think in my mind that if you want someone to come across, just fucking say what you feel. Yeah. But like, I understand the other partner's mentality of you should know me enough to understand that I mean this when I say this. Like, when I say something, I actually mean a different thing. That's how well you should know me. Yeah, but that sucks for the receiver. Mm -hmm. That's an awful lot of assumption. Yeah. It's taken me a long time to be able to communicate well. I don't know if I still do, mm. but I think it's unfair to go under the assumption that somebody is angry with you because you're not really understanding them. Yeah, for sure. I feel like, again, I've kind of come to this sort of place where I try my best to understand and I just always say what I feel. So like... I'm definitely a lot better, I would say, than before. Because, like, when we talk about this and I think about that person I was with for a few years, I find myself, like, rehashing moments in our 
time together where it was like, wow, I guess I probably didn't understand it at that point either. You were trying to put it together. Yeah, I was like really thinking at the time, like, whoa, holy shit, where did this go sideways? And then I start just going back to moments and I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah, it was like the writing was all over the wall. <laughs> uh, so then how did you get over it? I mean, time usually just seems to be the horrible truth of that. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely time. And then after a while of going through that and going through my feelings and whatever, I met Brooke literally again out of nowhere. Were you guarded with Brooke? Yeah, I was definitely guarded in the way that I wasn't looking for anything serious. And in that way, I guess I didn't mean to fall in love. But then I started to talk to her every day. I was sending her messages like constantly. And then I just stupidly kept doing it. And like I just kept falling more and more in love with this person. So then what was your like second meetup like? <laughs> so we actually had met right before... I started filming for Spider-Man 3. I flew out to Atlanta and I was there for like obviously like six months. And we were talking for, I would say like three weeks. And she was kind of just like, yeah, fuck it. I'll come out and see you. So you invited her. Yeah, I did. And um, it was great. We spent a really great weekend together and it was really awesome. And I actually went out to go see her when she was living back in Maine at the time for like another weekend after that. And we just kept talking and she kept visiting me in Atlanta. And then when she had actually moved to Florida for a brief time last year, I went to go see her there as well. And then after the movie finished, I stayed in Florida with her for like a month. And then months went by and then I was like, we should just like move in together. <laughs> and she was like, yeah. Yeah, she was like, yeah, fuck it. <laughs> Like the back and forth was cool, but it just was a lot for no reason. We could just be like living together. And now we have a dog, so. <laughs> Tell us about like the hardship in your life and if you're proud of the way you got over it. I would say there was two sort of major hardships that I had gone through that I guess defined me as a person. One point was when I got busted smoking weed at school and I went to like a private school, like a private Catholic school and... I feel like at that point in my life, my family kind of had seen me as a person who was, I guess, like not really going anywhere because, you know, it was a very conservative way of looking at weed. But their sort of assumptions about it is like dragging you down to do worse drugs and then you'll give up on your goals and dreams of being whatever you want to be and all these things. Yeah. So what was the fallout? You know, Filipino culture, a lot of Asian culture, you know, your family is sort of like your main thing. And so a lot of like my guilt and sort of pressure that I felt from my family was like I've let them down and I've disappointed them so much to the point where they don't even see me the same anymore. I had to deal with a lot of that type of stuff. And I kind of came out of it, but not in the way I wanted. It just ended. I guess they kind of just stopped feeling sad about that and feeling disappointed about it to the point where they kind of just let me start doing my own thing again. Which, if I could change, I would have. I would have taken the initiative at that time to really show them that I'm not, like, wasting your time and your love and your investment on me. But maybe you didn't have the words yet, you know? Yeah, like, none of my cousins had ever experienced this. Like, my brother and my sister had really experienced this sort of, like, shunning, almost. I just think at that time for me, they just think that I was some, like, dumb, innocent child that didn't know any better. So tell me about the second hardship. The second hardship was I had just gone to drama school and my best friend and I, at the time, our lease at our dorms had just ended and we couldn't really reapply for another lease and we both didn't really have money for it. 
So we were basically homeless for a bit. What does that mean? <laughs> we had found a YMCA that had offered these very modest lodgings that were like $10 a night. And they were more like community service centers. And it was in a very not good part of Brooklyn. At the time, you could only take the G train there. If that's any indication for anyone who's from New York, that's like a thing. Um, so we were there for a bit and I didn't want to tell my family back home because if I had at that point, my mother would have told me to pack up all my stuff and fly back home. So I kind of just sucked up my pride and I had asked my cousin Chris, who I mentioned earlier, and my cousin Mike to help me sort of find a place to stay. And Chris was gracious enough to let me stay at his house and really focus on myself and focus on school and auditioning. And I've been just trying my best to like repay them ever since. So I guess in that way, I sort of feel better about myself and trying to keep my word and helping them in any way I can. Yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, man. Hello. How's it going? Oh, great. I'm here with Jacob. He is just rad. Awesome. <laughs> I can't thank you enough for your letter. Will you tell us what's going on, Brandon? Sure. I recently turned 40, and I've been going through the midlife crisis stuff, and I'm working through it. I feel like I'm doing okay, but my main thing I have going on is my dad passed away about four years ago. He had pulmonary fibrosis, which is a lung disease. And, you know, it was a long couple of years that he went through it. And when it came time, he was taken care of. Naturally, he passed and I was there in the room. Um, oh. It was really tough. So going through that, it's kind of stuck in my brain ever since been very hard for me to um and i'm seeing therapy i'm getting through it but as i'm turning 40 and thinking a lot about life and things you know i'm just sort of noticing my thought process and a lot of stuff growing up has definitely changed especially thinking about having kids and you know getting married and it's not like I don't want to have kids you're like having some serious mortality mm. yes serious mortality stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things I think about is like, if I have kids and they have to see what I saw, I don't know if I ever want to put them through that. That's sort of like the main issue. 
That must have been so crazy to go through, man. I'm really, really sorry about that. Thank you. Strangely enough, I'm really glad I was there. Yeah. Just so I could have the closure. You know, I have a brother and a sister and, you know, we took turns staying with him when uh, he was going through it and they missed it. Mm. Were you the only one? It's me and my mom and the nurses and everything. So, Mm. Okay. I just imagine your dad passing away four years ago. And then what, a year and a half after that? I don't know if you lived in a place where you had to quarantine hard. Right, totally. The hard year, five years, 10 years Mm -hmm. of quarantine, (laughs) where all we have time to do is reflect and assess and reprioritize. Right, totally. Just like stewing and not moving and being stagnant and just sitting at the computer working. And you're thinking about that moment a lot. Oh my God, yeah, totally. And it had such an opportunity to like swirl around. Totally. You know, you kind of try and distract yourself with work and activities and yeah, definitely couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. But uh, now that we're back and I'm working again and I'm going out and I'm dating again and all that, it's better and I'm working through it and the longer, the easier it gets. But my whole question is like, is this a normal thing? Like, do people experience a loss and then be like, switch? You know, everything I thought about was like totally flipped. Could I ask you, Brendan, what was your dating life before this happened with your dad? Like, where were you in that sort of space? Before that, I had a lot of trouble on the dating scene. But after, there was kind of like a boon with my mentality. I think I just sort of went, screw it. I'm going to go for everything. Right. That sounds like you had divorce brain. (laughs) Jacob, that was an awesome question. I was going to say that that's really interesting because I feel like you sort of try to overcompensate in a way because you're going through something so traumatic that you sort of look at yourself and you're like, fuck, well, time is running, so I might as well do something about this shit right now. Otherwise, I'm going to be stuck in this place. Exactly. And I feel like that's a very normal coping mechanism for people Mm -hmm. to like go through something crazy and not deal with it head on and just try to distract themselves for sure. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. I did have a lot of fun relationship stuff happen in the year since when I was sort of back at it, which was great, honestly. But I really kind of changed with that whole experience. And it feels so weird because I was really way more self-conscious and, I don't know, careful about how I presented myself. And I think I just went, screw it. Like, I'm feeling less time now, feeling like mortality. So now I want to get everything I can get. You know, there's a lot of stuff that I'm really glad happened mentally with myself because of this scenario. I'm hoping it sort of would have happened, you know, not if my dad passed away. Right. But then as I'm thinking about really close relationships and being with my immediate family, it's been hard to think about breaking away and doing my own thing as I advance in my career and all that because, you know, my mom is about the same age and, you know, it's hard to not think about missing out on a lot of time with her and being close to her. So it's like this dual kind of thing going on. We put these like looming ideas around the shifting of decades. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The 40s have been awesome for me. I've really enjoyed it. That's awesome. I feel slightly less intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> same, actually. <laughs> but I kind of don't care. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> I work in the 
video production industry. I used to work for IGN. Definitely my Twitter presence has been just a disaster shit post. Like, <laughs> I don't care how stupid I am online. It's been really great. <laughs> I feel like I'm really finally becoming myself, which is something. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Follow that lead. Yeah. To touch briefly on the image of your witnessing the passing of your father and being there for him. Yeah. I think it's really strong and brave that you were there. And it's an experience that very few people can relate to. So it's a hard one to share. Right. My aunt is a nurse. And she said people who experience the death rattle are actually not in nearly as much pain as the witnesses think. Right. I hope you already know all that practical stuff. Totally. Good. Luckily, I had support systems to be like, it's going to be weird. His last words are not going to be poetic. Yeah. You know, and it was sudden. And I think his, <laughs> we were trying to consult him and his last words were like, just let me focus. <laughs> and you could totally go down that road and be like, he never said the words. But I spent a lot of time being like, he was just trying to get through it. It's got to be an intimate journey with oneself. Yeah, totally. Just applying the reality to the situation really helps. And if that's any sort of advice I can give to anybody listening. Yeah, that's good. For sure. It's not going to be poetic. It's not going to be what you think it is. Or like a majestic moment. Exactly. Yeah, it's just going to be what it is. And you really have to think presently and just know that that's what it's going to be, which really super helped me. And yeah, it took a lot of time to sort of reconcile with that and just say, hey, that's what it is. It's just a lot of what life is is not cinematic. Mm -hmm. It was really great to listen because my mother has a nursing home. So I've personally experienced what it's like to see families sort of come to their loved one's body and to like get them. And when I was a kid, like the first time I ever seen it happen, I was really close to this like old man. And then to sort of like tackle that reality as like a child was interesting because I didn't understand. So I guess I was defended by this veil of like ambiguity almost. Right. It's like I knew it happened, but because I was a kid, I didn't really grasp the severity of it. So like to listen to you really put it in perspective and place reality in the experience is important because I've seen like families break down tremendously, you know, and to the point where like you almost feel as if it's a very helpless moment to experience. But right. as human beings, we all understand that this is our sort of path. Right, right. It's just really great to hear you deal with that, man. It's really cool. Oh, thank you. I feel pretty lucky in having like a pretty good support system in my immediate family. We're all pretty close. That's good. It was definitely a lot of trading off being very vulnerable and, and kind of breaking down. And, Absolutely. And helping each other and yeah. kind of bringing reality to the whole thing. And my dad was definitely that type of guy who was like, it's going down. So yeah. you guys got to collectively get it. get together. Yeah. Yeah. Put your shit together <laughs> and let's do it. Right. You know, he definitely had that kind of mentality, but softened up a lot in his life and was very loving. And he always was loving. Ah, uh, how awesome. Really? That's really good. Just as a testament to him being in palliative care for a week when he passed, all of the nurses were crying. Oh, oh. oh Brandon, what That's a testament. That's so sweet. 
That is so amazing. This is amazing. And you carry it though too, Brandon. Yeah, that's really awesome, man. No, oh, thank you. You're clearly a really compassionate, empathetic person. Yeah. And in that, you have a lot to offer the world and to other people. Absolutely. Thank you. I just appreciate you guys letting me, you know, get it out. Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> so much. important. And Brandon, this call will help a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Great. Awesome. Grief is a solitary journey. You know, it it's is. heartbreak. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. longing. It's confusion. Yeah. It's guilt-ridden. And it is like a slow train. Yeah, totally. But I would love for you to be able to be proactive in optimistic futurization. Okay, yeah. Are you still like at stage one or two of grief? If there's five total stages, I'm pretty far along. Okay. I think another piece of advice, and I don't know how beneficial this can be for some people, but I really tried to feel all of my emotion when it was coming and, you know, really cry. You know, I need to get through it because I realized that I tried to not cry a lot of the time before. And now I'm just like, I'm just going to go for it and let it all out so I can be done. Oh, I think it's awesome that you let it all out, but it will never be done. Yeah, of course. I mean, in the moment, feel the emotion and then let it pass is the thing. You'll be ready for the next one and it might not feel as intense. I'm so glad you said that. Brandon, I know that there's kind of no advice. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm so glad you talked to us about it. Yeah. I feel like, dude, you are like already doing the thing that I feel like I probably would have said. Right on. In that you've taken a path towards doing something about your mental health Mm -hmm. and really accepting reality and life, but also being optimistic. Right. Like you're super hype about your dating life and you're excited to like really change. It's like, great, man. Like... It's really, really cool to like see you really get through this on your own and really grow as like a human, like through this whole experience. It's really beautiful, man. Thank you so much. Absolutely. It's really awesome. That means a lot. Thank you so much. Of course. And keep up your creative drive. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I believe in you. Thank you so much. In terms of like dating or children, Mm -hmm. I don't want you to put so much pressure on yourself. Okay. Let's like live for the moment. Mm -hmm. Right. Do some like present day assessment. Like, what do I want to do? I want to go draw. What do I want to do? I want to watch this thing and like go out on a date or hang out with your friends. Yeah. I just want you to not put pressure on yourself. Okay. Brandon, I'm thinking about you and thank you for your letter. It was so awesome. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you for, honestly, your podcast is such a breath of fresh air every time when we're in millions of podcasts about politics and awful news. And I love every single episode. Oh, Brandon, that truly means the world. Makes me a little emotional. I really, really appreciate it, Brandon. That's so awesome. Well, thank you. Uh, Jacob, you're awesome as well. Thanks for being on. Thank you, Brandon. I appreciate that. Of course. Jacob, you are really good at this. Oh, thank you so much. It's really nice to like hear people go through like a journey of discovery in a sense. Yeah. And like their way of dealing with life is very, I just feel like human nature is so beautiful and that like it's such a mixed bag of shit that any one person can deal with it differently than another person. It was really great to hear Brandon talk about how he's sort of taken on the challenge of really fixing his life. So, yeah. Yeah, completely. 
Okay, so wait. Yes. Who is Reginald the Vampire? Yeah. Well, Reginald the Vampire is based on a series of books called Fat Vampire by Johnny Truant. Reginald is basically a human who's accepted his fate, his sort of role and the place he has in the universe as like not being the hero of his own story. He sort of accepts that he's conventionally and socially the unattractive type. And he's okay with society basically telling him that you can't be a winner if you look a certain way or be a certain way. And once he's turned, all these sort of stereotypes and all these pressures are amplified by the vampire community. They are extra vain and extra assholes about the sort of way you should present yourself, especially being a vampire. And Reginald being the not typical looking vampire who's like shredded and beautiful luscious hair and all these things and tall He's sort of a blemish on the vampire community that he just gained access to. And because of that, the leader of that community wants him dead. It's really crazy. It's like really all over the place. It's very zany and funny and lighthearted and sweet and also very deep in moments and very thought-provoking a lot of the times. So yeah, we just sort of watch Reginald navigate life and love and relationships and friendships and what it means to be human and what it means to be a vampire. He sort of learns what life is through death in a way. So in that way, it's very cool and enlightening. (laughs) What are Reginald's character strengths? He's very thoughtful and he's a very charming person in that he's innocent almost to a fault, but because of that, it sort of helps him see things from a different perspective. That gives him a different perception of what it means to be human and what it means to be vampire. So I would say his mind is his main asset. Is he a romantic Yeah, for sure. He's a very dreamy romantic. He's never really experienced love before. In this show, we absolutely explore his transition from really not knowing anything about love to really experiencing everything like tenfold. And he makes a lot of mistakes, obviously, as humans do. But in the end, finds a medium, like a sort of place where he can really be himself and all these things. But we'll see what happens. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, Aaron. Hi, how are you? Hello. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for your letter. Will you tell us what's going on? For sure. So... Less than a year ago, my father passed away in a pretty like out of the blue kind of tragic accident. 
And I didn't have like the best relationship with him. So it's difficult to lose a parent that you have a complicated relationship with because there's a lot of unfinished business, sort of, you could say. Yeah. And when he passed away, I live abroad. So I had to come back to the States. And then he, in the end, like I kind of expected this to come based on things he was dropping like a few years ago, but he ended up leaving everything to his wife that he was with for about five years who I'm not particularly fond of and she definitely wasn't fond of me or my sister and originally that was not how it was supposed to go like when they got married he had a really strict prenuptial agreement with her and it was definitely not supposed to go that way but about two years before he died she kind of I think influenced him like it was really not like him to change what the will said And my dad worked really hard. Like he came from nothing and he really built himself as a businessman and he was really successful. So to kind of leave everything from a 65 year life to a person you knew for five minutes was really painful. Yeah. Not because of the money necessarily, just the sentiment. For sure. And he has a really big family and his whole thing was to bring the family together. He would pay for huge parties like family reunions and get everyone together in Vegas and New York and because no one else in the family pursued things like he did, but he really wanted to bring everyone together. So he always did that. And now I haven't really heard from anybody in my family since he died, but they're all keeping in contact with his widow even though like she really didn't like them at all and would like avoid any type of family event or vacation or anything and talk like major crap about them behind their back. The question really is like, there's a wedding, my first cousin's wedding. And my sister spoke to my uncle saying, listen, if our stepmom's invited to the wedding, I'm not going to come based on the sentiment of you guys know what's going on here. Because The extended family, they know that we weren't getting along and some stuff, but they don't know like the extent of the will and how she treats us now. And like, we're not in contact at all and all this other stuff. But my uncle knows and my aunt, my dad's sister also know. And they kind of made this decision together that they were just going to invite us and her, despite my sister basically saying like an ultimatum, if you invite her, I'm not going to be comfortable and I'm not going to come. How do you feel about that ultimatum? I understand where she was coming from for that. Sure. I get it. And at first I was feeling more mature about it and like wanting to go to the wedding anyway, because all my family's old and my cousins are my age and I ultimately would like them to be at my wedding and I want to be there to be with my cousin and to support her. However, I spoke to my aunt, which isn't my cousin's mother, but it's both of our aunts. And I said, you know, like, it feels bad that you're the one that knows everything about the situation. You know about how my dad used to treat us, you know, about how she used to treat us, you know, about how the will happened, you know, that despite what it said, she could have chosen to do something different, like maybe give us something or be generous or even keep in contact with us. You know what she did, but you're not willing to tell the rest of the family for us or stand up for us in any way or even protect us from her. And that feels really bad. And she basically said to me, you know, I'm sorry. I just don't have the strength. It's just not in me to be a confrontational person like that. Like, what do you want me to do? Stop talking to her? I'm like, yeah, I think so. (sighs) She just can't fathom that. Like, it's just too much. 
And there are a lot of family members that are on her side because she did a lot of damage control kind of leading up to this. She knew this was going to be the end results, I think, and was kind of always preparing everyone around us for this scenario. She was always kind of after the money, I think. Aaron, I'm so sorry. Yeah, that's so awful. Firstly, I'm really sorry about your father. And I know what it's like to have a complicated relationship with a parent. And like, just to like have it end abruptly out of nowhere, I wouldn't even know where to begin with my sort of grieving process. But then to deal with his seemingly sounding hateful partner, that's awful. I'm really sorry. That's terrible. Yeah, thank you. So you don't speak to your stepmom now, right? Like you don't contact her at all or you guys don't really say anything to each other? I was trying to keep in contact with her. Like I was still talking to her for like a month or two after he died. But first of all, we were waiting to see what the will was going to say, which she knew, but we didn't know. So we were waiting for that. And she was playing nice because she knew it was going to be the result. So could you ever find it in yourself to confront her yourself? Have you ever done that with her before? There's legal implications that are preventing us from doing that. For sure. Obviously, I would love to rip her a new one. Mm. But also, I don't think it would give me anything because the reason I stopped speaking with her was because my dad, he bought us a car when I was in high school. And it was obviously for me and my sister, it was paid off. There was no debt on this car. My sister had been driving it throughout her high school. I was already moved out and she wanted the car. And my stepmom said, all right, I'll sell it to you for $20,000. It was just such a jab. Yeah. Yeah, that's literally fucking terrible. After that, she texted me once. I didn't answer her that one time. Mm -hmm. And she never like followed up to be like, hey, are we good? Like she didn't want to continue to talk. Right. She was only doing it so that she could tell other people that she was talking with us. Man, that is. Yeah. Man, I try really hard not to like hate people or judge people or that sort of... But it's just tough when someone just keeps prodding you. She just keeps trying to bait you into shit. That's awful. Someone who's older, who's not at all willing to understand your feelings, who's not mature enough to be like, oh my God, Aaron and her sister must really be hurting. Mm -hmm. This must be really hard for them. It means that you have the burden of having to grow up faster than you should. Yeah. I mean, that's not a new element in my life. Like that part I'm very used to. Like it sounds funny, but very on brand for like how the childhood kind of went. I always was the kind of only adult present despite having two parents and step parents. Like that was still my role. But she also has mental health issues, like severe ones. And that was very apparent and very present. So I know that even if I were to confront her or even if someone were to say something, she has no ability to see it because in her eyes, she is a victim of everything. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe you have the wisdom to recognize this. So what would be the ramifications of you going to the wedding? I mean, I don't think I'd have ramifications towards anyone else. Like, would your sister be pissed off at you? No, I talked to her about it. Would you feel like this might be a really unpleasant evening? Yeah, well, I think it would be bad for me. Like, I don't think it would cause any butterfly effect on anyone else. 
But I realized after speaking with my aunt that I wouldn't care if I was in the same room as my former stepmom. Like, she doesn't bother me. I know exactly what to expect from her. The bigger issue is being around my family and all of them treating her so well. Because they don't know. Well, it feels like the star of the family died suddenly. Right. Yeah. And then all the money... All the power went to somebody who cannot be counted on. This is starting to sound like a whole true crime podcast where, like, <laughs> the lover is taking all of the money and, like, she's being awful to the lover's <laughs> family. This is unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of personal experience with family being very, very backstabbing over money and all those things. I completely get you. Like, when you say this is on brand for your childhood, because I basically had gone through the same thing in the sense that. Everyone in the family will favor the one with the most money and success and pull. Yeah. It's a very toxic environment to be in. I understand when you say nothing will affect anyone else, but it'll truly affect you. That's a very personal thing because you are the one who's actually going through the pain with her as opposed to everyone else seeing her for who she is fully. And personally, hearing you talk about like your aunt and uncle who know what she does to you, I'm not saying I would have like a personal vendetta against them or anything, but I would probably hold them more accountable for sure. Right. Well, that's how I feel too. Right. Yeah. Like your aunt's like not confronted. I totally get it. That's just, it's so frustrating. Like for my own sanity, I probably wouldn't go either, but I understand you're wanting and willing to be there for your cousin because like family seems like a thing for you and you'd want that to keep close. I only have those cousins on that side. Like everyone else is old and it's a big family, but only my dad's brother had kids my age. Right. And, you know, it's partially like I wanted to go because I think about my wedding. Hopefully I'll have one. And I have a very small guest list now. Like, I just feel very abandoned by this family that, you know, my dad really stuck by. And the whole time they would tease him and be like, oh, since he was a kid, he just wanted money. And like, he was by no means a great dad. Like he had a lot of deficits as a dad, but he was a wonderful businessman. He really did work hard. And I was very proud to be his daughter for that reason. And, you know, they were happy to take from him Mm -hmm. and come and enjoy all the benefits of being related to him. And I think that my family members, a lot of them have this non-confrontational style. They all have at least certain level of awareness of like the abuse that happened from my dad to us and also from my stepmom and they all have at least a minimal knowledge. They just would kind of rather play dumb. Like it's just easier for them. Mm. They don't care that it's harder for us. No one's willing to put themselves on the sword kind of for us. And that doesn't feel like family to me. Yeah. It's just, that is so tough to defend. You know, I feel like for me, family is everything for sure, but it's, it's tough when they make it difficult for you to love them. You do seem to be very realistic in your expectations. And for only being in your early 20s, it's it's kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. I feel like I can see it in your eyes. Yeah. There's been many, many big events. I felt really not prepared for this. My sister and I both were like, okay. Know what to expect. We both graduated high school. We're out. Mm -hmm. We don't think a lot more can happen to us now. And then Mm. my dad passed away. And like, we are both in college still. So the wedding's in November. Mm -hmm. How close are you with your cousin? 
I'm not that close. I'm closer with her sister, but again, it's really just about trying to preserve whatever family I have left you kind have. of was, yeah. but I don't know if that's necessarily the route I want to go. Cause it's going to cost me first of all, a lot of money. It's during my school semester. Oh. It's a lot to sacrifice just to show up there and be uncomfortable because it's still traumatic. Yeah. I don't know what the best case scenario of you going to the wedding is. Yeah. If you're missing family, take this time before the wedding to nurture a couple of people right. that you feel close to, whether it's your cousin's sister, so your other cousin. Yeah. If you feel safe with her, call her, tell her your feelings. I think that it would be nice to reach out. And my boyfriend told me also, you know, to reach out to the family members that I do care about. But I worry because it is a family that talks to each other a lot. Right. Mm. And I worry about rumors. I would just say for your own sanity and like your own health mentally, stick with the people that you think you like. Really try to nurture those relationships because people will talk for sure, but... They're not going to know the truth. Yeah. They're not going to know what you're thinking in your mind. They're just going to assume. And until they come to you and talk to you about it, you shouldn't feel guilty about doing what you're doing because you know that in the end, they have an inkling of the abuse that you were going through and choose to not do anything to side with you or help you. So, like, don't feel guilty about wanting to do what's best for yourself. Like, your family's going to do that shit no matter what. Because uh. my family does the same shit to me. People will talk and assume shit about your life. Meanwhile, have no insights of where you're at mentally because they don't actually care to know. Yeah. To stick with your homies. Yeah. Because they're going to be the ones who get you. Seriously. You'll need that in your life. I promise you. Yeah. Aaron, I've had to cut certain people out of my life because of how they treated me and how they make me feel when I'm around them. It's not a bad thing, necessarily. This is kind of the point. Like, I'm 45, wondering what my obligation to certain family members are and why. People, like, illogically, inexplicably being angry with me. Mm. It's confusing. And I'm at a point in my life where I don't have the patience for it anymore. I am okay with saying, I don't want to be around that person. Now, that's just food for thought. You're in a much more complicated position. And I don't think you need to make any kind of decision today. Yeah. What if you were to call your cousin's sister and tell her how you're feeling? I did speak to her. And mm -hmm. even my cousin that's getting married, like, they know. Like, I'm open with them and I'm not, I'm not like, ashamed or hiding it. I think it's a little bit of, like, child ego in me. Like, little me is not wanting to be rejected by my family because they're the ones I want to love me, like, no matter what. Of course. Kind of. And mm -hmm. I feel, like, very sad that it feels like, you know, I'm saying out loud, like, okay, I don't want to be with them because they're not being nice to me. But deep inside, like, the honest thing is it feels like they're rejecting me. And that's that's hard. Like, it's hard for me to take the confident route because it does feel kind of like a show because that's not really how I feel inside. I do feel sad. Yeah. And I am feeling like not only did I lose my dad, but I lost his whole Your family. family. Yeah. And it meant something to be a part of this family. We had a legacy kind of thing. So it's very sad to not feel any sort of connection to that anymore. Aaron, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry. And I think that you need even more space to make this decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would just like to say, like, it is really, really, really good talking to you and hearing you speak on this because, like, 
I find that a lot of people experience family trauma in ways that is inexplicable sometimes. You sort of wonder why people are the way they are. And then like you peek into their family history and you understand that they become this way because of where they're from and like what they're born from. And I think for me personally, I would say I know that you are like wanting that family bond and that connection and it hurts deeply to feel like you're not connected to it anymore. It sucks. But like how deeply connected are you to people who knew your trauma and didn't want to help you with their trauma? You know, like... I don't want to be the devil's advocate here. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just saying through everything that you have been through and through what you tell your family. And this is because I've experienced it straight up in my face where, like, I really had to make a decision as to who I want in my life for my family and who I don't want. And it's because of scenarios like this where it's like you are telling them and they know it and they still choose not to do anything about it. And it's like, how much are you willing to let go and let happen before you start to realize your family does not care. Yeah. And I'm sure they do care about you and love you, for sure. But how much does a person actually care to know that you've been abused your whole life and still don't want to help? Yeah. Definitely keep your family connection. Like, if that's what you are about, fight for that, you know? But in this whole thing of, like, Anna saying, really do what's best for yourself, like, I say, really do what's best for yourself. Yeah. Just heal the way you need to heal. I agree. And really, like prioritize yourself and your mental happiness and always check in with yourself. You have to really like hold your place in reality and really like zero in on your inside because that's what's really making you go, right? Your internal mechanics. Like you really have to just focus on you being you and healing and being with people who deserve your presence and your love because it sounds like you've been giving it away for a long time for free. So I feel like you should just really be conservative with that now, you know? Thank you. Yeah, I agree. Thank you very much. Aaron, I'm thinking about you. Thank you for your time, guys. I appreciate it. Take care. Jacob, I can't thank you enough. Yeah, absolutely. This has been great. You give incredibly compassionate advice, and I just think you're awesome. Thank you, and that means a lot. And I'm really happy for you. Thank you so much. I can't even begin to even think about how fucking lit today was. This is so crazy. Oh, good, good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I so appreciate you, as does the rest of the world. <laughs> <laughs> 